This weekend, uh, we kick off a two-week series entitled My NCC, and the operative word there is my. How do we go from being a part of a church to church being a part of us? Now, I love it when I get the chance to talk to somebody about what it means for NCC, National Community Church, to become their home, to become their church. And I'll often uh, use the comparison of how you act at a party to how you act at your home. Okay, so if you're at a party, you're primarily concerned with what the party has to offer you, right? Their music, their drink selection. Uh, if you're at that stage of life, uh, who's available? How good looking the available are? If you're at my stage of life, what do they have to eat? <laughs> oh, they got those mini hot dogs. This is going to be a great party. Right, but we're all interested. We all have our own interest in mind at that party. If you're at a party, somebody walks in the door. You're not concerned about that. You're going to leave whenever you feel it. Now, if you're at your home, it's a different story. If somebody walks in the door, you better believe you're going to go get to know that person, right? If you're at, a, uh, at your home, you're not going to leave whenever you feel it. You're going to be there until people are gone. You're not consumed with your own interests. You are consumed with the interest of every person that is in the house. What's the difference? Ownership. When you come into National Community Church, which mindset do you have? Are you thinking, okay, what does this place have to offer? You're looking up and down, you're judging, and you're, you know, okay, how am I fed here at this? Or do you come in seeking, having a genuine relationship, seeking God and seeking to get to know your neighbor. Luther said, the power of faith is found in the personal pronoun. So our prayer today for this series, for this sermon, our prayer is that we would go from calling it a church or your church or National Community Church to calling it my church, our church, his church. All right, our text is Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. And uh, before I get into the text, I want to give you a little pretext, all right? So go back 600 years, and you find, uh, remember Saul and David and Solomon, you find the United Kingdom, Israel. And they're in this season where they are living, they're living in harmony, they're living in love, they're living in peace, they're living in unity. That is until people start caring less about the part that they could play in the kingdom and start caring more about the peace that they could get out of the kingdom. And this shift happens. And when this shift happens, a divide happens. And the kingdom literally divides into north and south. And when division happens, then disobedience of God begins to creep in. And when disobedience happens, then defeatism happens. And they are defeated when the Babylonians come along and they capture them. They are taken captive. They turn into exiles. And for 70 years, they are exiled until the Persians come and defeat the Babylonians. And then they release the Israelites. And so uh, in 536, a governor named Zerubbabel comes along and he, he decides to take exiles back to, the, back to Jerusalem. And then later, Ezra, this, this scribe or this priest, he brings a second group of exiles back as you can see. And then we get to Nehemiah, the author of today. Nehemiah comes along, and it's 140 years after people began to come back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And his brother comes and visits him. 
And Nehemiah asks his brother this question. He says, how's our city doing? How are people doing? And here's how he answers in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Down at verse 6. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Nehemiah hears this news and he begins to, to weep and mourn and fast and pray. And I'll never forget a sermon that David Wilkerson gave on this passage of scripture. And he said this, he said, whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? It's a word that this pampered age doesn't hear anymore. Anguish means deep pain and distress. The emotion so stirred. It's so acute, deep pain in the conditions about you, in you, and around you. Anguish. Deep sorrow. Deep pain. And we've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk for far too long, but we've become so passive. But true passion, it is born out of anguish. Do you know that God, when he desired to restore the ruins, he went and he found a praying man, and he took that praying man, and he literally baptized him in anguish. He does it in Nehemiah. Jerusalem is ruins. And what is God going to, how is God going to restore the ruins of Jerusalem? And Nehemiah comes, and he's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. Nehemiah is a praying man. He's, he's a working man. He's you. God desires for you to restore the situations around you. He desires for you to restore the people around you. Do you have a heart for his people? Do you have a heart for his house today? 140 years go by until Nehemiah steps and begins to rebuild the wall. Why didn't God find somebody else? Why didn't God allow somebody else to be used to rebuild the walls? It's because nobody was weeping. It's because there was not a word of prayer. There was no anguish. Does it matter to you today that somebody can barely catch their breath because of grief at the loss of a loved one? Does it matter to you today that somebody's spiritual energy is being so drained and diffused because of a broken relationship that they find themselves in? Does it matter to you about the health issue that somebody is experiencing or the financial crunch that somebody is in or the depression that they have found or, or the parent who has a wayward son and they are in such deep hurt over that wayward son or the person has, who is in an abusive relationship or the person who is at the very edge of who they are. Listen, I'm not just giving you ideas today. I am talking about people that are here in this house, at this location, I am naming people when I name those things. But are we aware of the Jerusalem that is around us, the ruins that are all around us? Are we aware of the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The places of ruin, 
that we allow to become disrepaired? When's the last time you weeped in prayer? When's the last time you fasted and you mourned over a need? When's the last time you were so concerned and aware of somebody's need within the body that you begin to pray and seek God for them and for their issue and for their need? Nehemiah, he could have remained content, but he stepped into the pain, and God wasn't looking for concern in a man. He was looking for anguish within a man. Concern, concern feels bad, but it doesn't act. Anguish is so deep in pain that it can't move until it acts. And I don't doubt that we have concern in and among us. But concern is worthless to, her, to the hurting man. Silent concern is worthless to the hurting woman. They need somebody to step in, to engage with them, to listen to them, to look them in the to put an arm on them or around them, to be with them, to be together with them. Are we living in concern or are we living in anguish for our brothers and sisters? Are you attending a church or are you a part of your church, giving your gifts, sharing your passions, sharing what God has put in you? Don't just be here. Belong here. Don't just receive here. Give here. We perceive our skills for the benefit of ourselves when God perceives our gifts for the benefit of the church body. Now notice this. Nehemiah wasn't at fault for the wall's disrepair. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his problem. It was 140 years earlier. Are you kidding me? This is not him. He didn't even live there. Why, why do I got to be concerned about New York? Like that's new, you know, I live here. That's not my issue. It wasn't his responsibility. Except for one thing. Family. When you have faith in God, you become the part of the family of God. He invites us into family with those who are around us. And, and here's what we find with Nehemiah. He steps out. He becomes responsible. He takes responsibility for those things that were not his fault. And here's what he says in verse 6. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He wasn't there. He wasn't a part of it. It wasn't his problem. It wasn't his fault, but he took responsibility. He stepped up as a leader. He stepped up into God's calling, and he stepped into family. My point is this. Don't just join NCC to try to fill a role in this organization. No, step into NCC because this is family. God, this is less inspiration and more an invitation to come and be a part of what God has given to us. Listen to some of Rachel's story, who leads our Crosswalk Kids ministry here at Barracks before Ernest comes and continues. Listen to what she had to say. She said, I first came to D.C. as an intern. I visited NCC, and God started working in my heart and drawing me back to him and restoring my faith after 10-plus years of really intense struggling and valleys. I kept coming back every Sunday and would see people on stage speaking and interact with the hospitality team and just feel so blessed after a period of spiritual drought. 
I wanted to get involved in volunteer capacity and give back. And I started in the nursery as a volunteer and kept growing as God restored my faith. It was right where God wanted me to be. The amazing thing is I was in the middle of joining the army when I found out I had gotten my internship in D.C. And I prayed to God that if it was his will for my life to go in the direction of D.C. and politics, then to let me get that internship. What I've come to see now is that it wasn't politics that God brought me to D.C. for. It was to find National Community Church and step into the role he had prepared in advance for me. Now, each Sunday I am humbled and I am so amazed that I am now a part of the core leadership team at the church, Ernest, that fed my soul when I was starving. Here's what she said. This is my NCC. Uh, There's a point where in Joel's story that he just shared about Rachel, she took personal responsibility and is exactly the same as Nehemiah, where he stepped up and took personal responsibility for the entire endeavor as a whole. Now, for those of us who are homeowners, this is real easy for us to understand, right? Because you step up and you say, I want to buy a home, and you step into ownership, right? And that's what Pastor Joel was talking about. So you own that place. So if the toilet breaks, it's on you. If the gutters need cleaning, it's on you. If you think you winterized your pipes and you didn't, the the resulting water is literally on you. Now, this might seem funny unless you're my wife. Uh, Thank you, baby. But... The whole thing is, is that you have to take ownership of this thing. And one of the things that I really want to drive home with this is, is that when you look at this, the point is subduing it and taking control. So I want to share the scripture with you. It's Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In this scripture, do you notice something? there's a lack of conversation around results, right? So when you take ownership, I'm working on to the Lord, but I'm not concerned with results. Why? It's because your job is to do the work, and God's job is to produce. So we have to know our roles. We have a core value that says, pray like it depends on God, and work like it depends on you. In other words, Don't discount Nehemiah's faith and action, and don't discount God's action through faith. So, in Nehemiah 1.11, and I want to just show you this, is that Nehemiah already knew this principle. And he says, this is just a snippet of it, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I could just imagine Nehemiah right now internally. This is how I read scripture a lot of time. I internalize and make it personal. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining that he's saying, all right, God, here I am. Uh, I'm a cupbearer. I am getting ready to ask the king something that's going to sound crazy. But you know what, God? I know that you are with me. I know that you are for me. So grant me success this day. What we have is a man who, even after prayer and fasting, knew that the deal wasn't done. He still understood that he served a sovereign God who was ultimately in control. Because of that, he wanted his favor. I really want to drive this point home. Please don't discount Nehemiah's faith through action 
and don't discount God's action through faith. Now, as we continue to move through this, I always like to make things uh, practical. I think most of us that live here in Washington, D.C. want to do the same thing, right? We want to, all right, Ernest, give me some action items. I need something to do. I need some notes to take. So here we go. I want to, I want to write this down. I think, again, as I internalize Scripture, I want to make it very practical. And I'm, I'm, as Nehemiah internalized uh, this anguish, as Pastor Joel even talked about it, right? It's anguish. And then he moved to a position of ownership, responsibility, and then action. I, I want to just take a moment to, to break that down, just kind of a hierarchy of how that flowed. So first off, once he experienced anguish, he grappled with the burden of others. He was then moved to pray and fast. Then he set his being wholly on being with the Lord. And then he looked at his position and found a way to serve his fellow human beings, right? So in short, either you live in spiritual gluttony or you live in spiritual renewal. And if it's the latter, you are in a position to be poured out to be used by the Lord. So what are you saying, preacher? All right, Ernest, I heard that. What, what are you really getting at? I'm saying that we should consider how the Lord might have positioned us so that we are able to co-labor with him. We see that this is what Nehemiah did. When he felt the burden of his people and was moved to help, he might be able to utilize his position to gain favor in the eyes of man to help the Lord's people. So many of us in this church are positioned in a place where the Lord has favored you just like Nehemiah. As you move... How can you utilize and leverage that favor to respond and take action as a Lord's ambassador for the sake of his bride? And I just have a newsflash. We're the bride. You and me, we are the church. So how can we use our position right here? Nehemiah knew he was going to speak to the king and ask for God's favor. And Nehemiah 2, 4 through 5 and this is what it reads. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah understood how to transform a burden into action. This is how he outlined his plan. Again, I want to make it actionable for all of us. And first off, he's got turned upside down. All right, here we go. He started by speaking the true desires of his heart. Right? He didn't qualm. He didn't twist words. He just spoke his heart to the king when the opportunity presented itself. He then outlined a definite plan. He didn't say, well, king, maybe I think I could. No, it was just, this is it. He gave the length of time it would take for him to complete the task. He asked the king to bless him and extend his favor before him, right? He said, hey, king, I'm going to need some timber. Uh, could you bless that? And could you give me a, a written note? So as I pass through the provinces, the governors will know I'm coming under your authority. He included what it would take him personally to do the task, right? He even said, like, hey, king, I'm going to need a house. I need somewhere to live, so I'm going to be there for a while. And then he gave all the glory to God. 
The principle we see in effect is taking what's in your hand and giving it to the Lord. We see that this man was a lowly cupbearer, as Pastor Joel even is praying, and then he steps out and says, God, this is what I got. I'm going to give it to you. And the Lord blessed it. Now, I, I love this part because um, Pastor Joel said it, and I just love how eloquently you put it together, and I want to drive this point home as well. It didn't take the priest. It wasn't the king. It wasn't the prophet. It was the cupbearer. And this is the point that we need to understand is that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And that is what we get to see. That is what this means for us about being my NCC. So, I, again, I have to keep it real with everybody here, and that is there will be obstacles, right? Maybe somebody's like, I know, I feel encouraged. I'm going to start this small group. Well, I just want to newsflash again. There will be obstacles. And for Nehemiah, his obstacles had names. So um, now, Nehemiah's obstacles, when we read uh, Nehemiah 2.10, uh, and I'll just read it out. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Toboth, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So first off, I would be an obstacle if my name was Sanballat and or Toboth, right? I mean, just to keep it real. I think if I ever got any little bit of power, I, I would be like, okay, y'all made fun of me. Y'all clown me back in the day. Y'all ain't going to clown me now because I got some power. So you're going to have to feel, feel sand ballot and toe ball. Now, <laughs> secondly, I would say the reason that there are obstacles is that sand ballot is a Samaritan and toe ball is Amorite. These are two natural people groups who are enemies to the Israelites. So Why? These two are enemies. It's because as you read scripture, I just want to uh, share with you, I thought it was really interesting that the Amorites were an offshoot of Lot. And so that is um, definitely part of their animosity. And I feel like what we see in this circumstance is that the history, right, of where they came from for these two was influencing their current situation, right? And I, I know that might hold some of us back from stepping out because we're like, well, our past is this, and I don't think, no, I want to encourage you today. Don't fall back in your past. But getting back to the circumstances of this situation, what we see is that these two groups that were enemies became friends because they had the common enemy of the Israelites. And therefore, what did they do? They tag-teamed and said, you know what? We got to come together. We got we to do something against Nehemiah and the Israelites. So I want to outline just a little bit of the tactics of our enemy. Let me check my time here. Yeah, good. So what I, I, I want to do is I want to get to Scripture again. And I would love for us just to go to John 10.10 10 because one of the things that I realize in reading this Scripture is that there's strategy throughout all the Scripture. And I think a lot of times our ignorance of not being in it, we, we don't come to that realization. So first off, what we see here is that Satan, right, he has a strategy. And John 10, 10, it outlines, and it says, and I'll just read it for all of us here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, right? Now, some of us could be like, oh, oh Ernest, I, I don't know why you were preaching on this, because this is horrible. Um, you just told me that we're basically dead and destroyed. But this is the whole thing. There's a comma here. And this is the powerful part. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that's Jesus speaking who has all authority, who is sovereign. 
and he puts it in its rightful place. Now, Satan wants us to focus on our circumstances. But we must remember, like Nehemiah, that if we serve a sovereign God, these worldly circumstances will always be trumped so that God's good and perfect will will be done. A wise man once asked me, if life is really easy right now, are you leveraging your gifts for the Lord or your own gain? And I, that was uh, this wise man right here, Pastor Joel. So I just want to give him a shout out. Again, are you leveraging your gifts for your own personal gain or for the Lord? Now, that obstacles, know that obstacles will come, but have faith in the Lord. Even though Nehemiah didn't know the full revelation of Scripture, i.e. Jesus, he knew that the Lord had done for Israel, right? He's talked to his brother. He knows about Moses. He knows these things. And then, secondly, he knew what the Lord had told him in his heart. All of us have an opportunity to step up and step out for the glory of the Lord in NCC. Because, unlike Nehemiah, we know the complete story of Scripture, right? Now, Nehemiah was completely stepping out blind. He just had his prayer and fasting and understood this. Now, we have the full revelation of Scripture. And this is how we get to encounter this, is that we can count it all as joy. Because we do have the full revelation. We know about Jesus. We can get into his Holy Scripture. I would like to share with everyone Kate Ferreira's testimony that illustrates this point so well. I used to look at church as a consumer experience. What can today's service or message offer me? And I feel like the Lord has flipped my heart and really convicted me of that mentality. NCC is not merely a building or location I go to on Sunday. Rather, NCC is a second home. If the local coffee shop, it, it's a local coffee shop I go to to do work and hang out with my friends. It's a Saturday gathering to serve the local community. It's serving hospitality on Sundays. It's a Tuesday night small group. NCC has become my church in all those ways and more. It's been eye-opening for me in that I've realized God's given us gifts and talents, not so we can be successful in the world's standard and excel to fill, fill in the blank job, but rather so we can participate in the kingdom here and now. The Lord was speaking to me about being the church. NCC is not merely a building or location I go to on Sundays. Rather, NCC is a second home. I love it. Kate, bringing it. This is not about filling a role in an organization. This is about becoming a part of family. And Nehemiah, he makes this trip. It's his Christmas trip, right? He's going back to see family that he doesn't even know. And he goes back to Jerusalem and he shows up. And guess what? It's these are people that he hasn't hung out with. And you might be here today and you say, yeah, come and I'd love to have family here, but I don't feel that right now. That's okay. Nehemiah shows up. He doesn't have that feeling yet, but he understands a sense of responsibility in the kingdom of God to step into the family of God that he has been grafted into. So he shows up and it, the scripture says that he went out and he surveys the land at night. 
and he sees what is there, and it's not good. He sees walls, whole sections of walls gone. He sees walls in ruins. He sees, he finds enemies who will come against him, and he sees a huge job, and he sees a very small workforce. I mean, this, this is not a good situation for him, and so I just, I, I wonder right here, you know, he's going to have to incite people to to build with a brick in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And so he comes, and and what is he thinking right here, right? He's probably thinking, what was I thinking to come here? And is he thinking about leaving? Does he think about walking away? Think this was a mistake. I should, this is bigger. This is more responsibility than I realized I was getting into. But guess what? He doesn't step back. He steps up. When the Holy Spirit calls you, it's not going to be easy. Do you know that? It's going to be challenging, but that's the beauty. Because God gives us enough to overcome the challenging circumstance. Nehemiah, he couldn't have liked what he walked into. But he decided not to back down. And he knows, he knows this, that nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And when everybody does something, God can do anything. And so he gives a charge to his church. In verse 17, he says this, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Now come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Essentially, he is saying this. See a need, feel a need, fill a need. Let it get into your head and then go to your heart and let it come out through your hands. Our tendency in a church like this is to come in and and we think, okay, there's just a bunch of people here. So yeah, I mean, the work will get done. There are enough people around here that yeah, everything will be fine, and, and yeah, we can just come in and kind of enjoy it. And, every, and Malcolm Gladwell calls this the diffusion of responsibility. And uh, the classic example is, is one of the densest parts of the city, and a crime occurs. And so many people hear the crime happening, but they think somebody else will take care of that. There are enough people here that I don't have to take personal responsibility. The diffusion of responsibility, the definition is this, a phenomenon in which a person is less likely to take responsibility for an action when others are present. One of our key volunteers, when they first started attending, shared this. He said, when I came, I was determined not to serve, but just to receive. I thought a church like NCC didn't need my help. But through conviction, I realized that church isn't a church until you become a part of the family. And I began to serve and give, and then I began to receive and grow. Another volunteer, Minda, said this. She said, a church doesn't become your church until you start serving. It's just a place to go. NCC became my church when Tim, come on, Tim, where you at? When Tim told me I needed to join the ministry team, and I stepped out in faith, and I did. Once I found that I had a role, that I had something to give, this became my home. These are my people. Ernest and I measure the success of this message not on how many amens we get, 
though there's nothing wrong with that if you want to throw an amen my way, okay? We don't measure the success at how many people agree with us. We measure the success. It's, it's a simple message, isn't it? We measure the success of this message by how many people actually step into community, by how many people actually sign up and begin to serve in a ministry, in a mission, by how many people decide to take somebody to lunch after service, by, by how many people take a step of intentionality or step into awkward to get to know somebody else that is around them. That's how we measure the success. And so even right now, let's, let's put up the slide right behind me. If you're interested in stepping out and signing up to serve in a ministry, you go on your phone right now. You go to this website and you can sign up and you can begin to serve in a number of holes and needs that we have here at the church. We'd love for you to now. The diffusion of responsibility says, oh, yeah, I mean, somebody, some people should do that. And we look around, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Absolutely. That's the diffusion of responsibility. I don't believe that all of us live in the diffusion of responsibility. I believe that there are some Nehemiahs in the house today, some leaders in the house today, some people who say, you know what, I am family, and I'm going to start acting like it. And I don't just come into this place to extract whatever I can get from this place and then walk away and keep it to myself. I come into this house because I am family, and I have a part to play, and I have something to give. And God has ordered me and called me to be a part of this. I count it. In the first two chapters of Nehemiah, 47 times Nehemiah uses the first person pronoun. He doesn't say you and your and you guys. He says, he says, us, we, let's. Verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, and they replied, listen to this. This is our worship right now. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I don't stand up here today saying, you need to serve. I don't stand here today saying, you need to step into community or you need to be intentional or get to know your neighbor or take somebody to lunch or step out and meet a need. I don't stand here today. I stand here today as a part of this body saying, let us step into community. Let us begin to serve one another in greater capacity. Let us begin to be aware and see the needs that are all around us in the Jerusalem around us and Jerusalem in our own heart. Let us step up. Let us build and be the church. Amen.